Century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, take it. Deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates for it. Coley cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. It's been a while and uh, of course this is the first podcast of the uh, 2021. Great to be with you. I'm Dean Duplessis. And uh, just a reminder, if you are listening to the podcast for the first time, there are all sorts of interviews that you can listen to from Graham Hick to Kumar Sangakara to Sean Pollock, to Pommy and Bangwa, to many, many, many more. Subscribe via the usual podcast apps and uh, have yourself a great time listening to some fantastic people. Now, it gives me a great amount of pleasure and joy to welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast a man who, in my opinion, is the all-rounder, the genuine all-rounder of commentating, hosting, and presenting. <coughs> He's uh, covered a various amount of sports, but he will uh, introduce himself a bit more. Alan Wilkins. Alan, thank you so much for joining the Dean at Stumps podcast, and it's so nice to finally be chatting to you. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Dean. Yeah, really not good to be with you as well at the start of this new year. Um, I'm fine. You know, we, we have lockdown in Wales, and we have lockdown extensively across England now. So at the moment, uh, these are quite challenging times. Um, obviously not... Um, not traveling as much as I did. In fact, the last cricket I did was Islamabad, and I spoke with you then with uh, Ed Rainsford. Yes, and absolutely. it was um, the three one-day internationals, Zimbabwe against Pakistan. But other, other than that, no, everything's okay, Dean. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's great to hear that all is good with you. Um, uh, Alan, so I guess we need, to, we need to get into the meat and potatoes, as I like to call it. And, and the question that comes to mind is, how on earth are you able to seamlessly, fluently, and effortlessly change from one sport to another in terms of commentating, hosting, and presenting? I, I mean, you do it with such authority. I mean, uh, I suppose, where did it, how do you do it? And then we'll get to where did it all start? Well, it's very kind of you to say that, uh, Dean. Um, I, I guess it really began when, when I was with the SABC in radio. Uh, I was editor of English Radio Sport back in the day, around about 85, 86, 80, 87, 88, uh, before I, I came back to this country. Um, and I became manager of the English Radio Sports Department as well. So we handled a lot of sport. Essentially, it was rugby and cricket in those days. But I found myself commentating cricket with the great Charles Fortune, and I found myself doing rugby with Chick Henderson. Now, oh, these my are word. Yeah. these are household names in South Africa. Yes. And uh, it started from there. And then I came back to this country around about 87, 88 and joined BBC. I was based with BBC Wales in Cardiff. But I found myself in the hot seat. And in the hot seat, you, you become an all-rounder. You have to be because you're presenting cricket, presenting rugby, presenting football, ice hockey, bowls. Gosh, you name it, I did it. Uh, <laughs> and, and I guess it was the challenge because if you didn't really master it, um, you would be out of a job. I, I guess that the real uh, 
crux of this is that you had to read and, and, and you know, we had to read extensively about every sport. And I still do that. Mm. Although these days, uh, Dean, uh, it's very much cricket that I concentrate on. The all-rounder status that I had <laughs> that you referred to, um, that's gone a little bit because I'm no longer with BBC. And whilst I was in Cardiff with BBC Wales and I covered all those sports, uh, now I'm a freelance and it's very much cricket. It used to be a lot of golf and a lot of tennis, of course, with my great friend Vijay Amritraj, the great Indian tennis player and icon. But now it's, I cover the, you know, the, mostly it's cricket. Um, is cricket your first love? Good question. It's always uh, a question I struggle with. I, I, I would probably have to say yes, because it's the sport that I played well, professionally, um, it's the sport that I do love. I still love it. Um, but, you know, if you said to me, how much do you love tennis or how much do you love rugby, they, they'd be right up there. I would say this, though, that the rugby we're watching these days in the Northern Hemisphere is not very good rugby. Mm. Um, uh, and I would rather, far rather watch Southern Hemisphere rugby, you know, the Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, you know, and, and the Argentina playing good stuff. So, um yeah, in answer to the question, probably I think cricket would just about edge it. Why, in your opinion, are the Northern Hemisphere not playing the rugby, the attractive brand of rugby that the Southern Hemisphere do? Well, I, I think if I knew the answer to that, I'd probably make <laughs> a lot of money uh, because uh, the rugby writers in all the serious newspapers here are asking the same question. Um, at the moment, uh, it's become a kicking game uh, uh, the amount of kicking in a game of rugby union these days. Now, I have read that even Eddie Jones, the England coach, who said, look, his players, they've had a lot of months off and out of rugby, so they're not as conditioned as they would have been uh, had the seasons been structured in normal times. He said these are not normal times. I still don't buy that as an excuse as to why we're seeing so much kicking in the game. Plus, of course, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, the game is so attritional. I had this conversation with many friends, fireside chats, phone chats, that these days the players are so big and so strong, you know, they're, they're sort of gym freaks. Yeah. They don't look for gaps, they look for the player and they, they just literally run straight into him. It's become an attritional game and I don't think it's become a very attractive game uh, to watch compared with what we see coming out of the Southern Hemisphere. Or even uh, and even in, in in perspective of the, you know, sort of players gone by, say forty years ago, where where you had your scrum off and your wings, who were very small but incredibly compact and quick people, um, you know, which made for 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 very attractive rugby, and especially the South Africans, I guess, you know, you would have seen a number of of very impressive South Africans at your time with the SABC in the nineteen eighties as well, I would imagine. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, look, they did have the great Nas Buerta at Northern Transvaal, and he kicked the leather off it. But there were astonishingly good wingers uh, and said, well, let's let's hang on. What about one of the greats from uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Ray Mort? Oh, yes. I mean, what, I mean, what a player. Uh, and, you know, you had in the center from South Africa, Danny Kerber. You had the Duplessis brothers, three of them. Uh, you, you had all these great speedsters, wingers, um, who, who were brought into the game and scrum halves. And God bless him, you know, he's, he's no longer with us, but Joost van der Westhuizen, one of the great scrum halves. I mean, that 1995 team, Springbok team, was a great rugby team. And, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I I still think that South Africa, it's it's very strange that they're in the wilderness in the sense that they, they're not fulfilling, they're not playing these fixtures uh, this year. And so they really haven't played since they won the Rugby World Cup yes. last November. Yes. Uh, and it's a very odd situation for them. At the moment, there's a conjecture, Dean, as to whether the Lions tour will take place. I don't think it will. I think the British and Irish Lions tour to South Africa will be postponed to next year. Yeah, which is a real shame, but I'm afraid I think quite a few things are going to be put firmly on the back burner uh, until we have some, some semblance of... Well, the, the, it'll always be a different type of normal now, won't it, Alan? It, it'll never be the normal that we remembered, uh, say, two years ago now, I'm afraid. No, and, and it's, uh, it's uh, horrible. Um, you know, it's, it's getting very grim in London. Um, the new normal, I, I hope it's not going to be the new normal, Dean. I hope it's not that we all have to yeah. wa walk around wearing face masks uh, and walk around and queue outside shops to go in. I, I, you know, it's, it's such, uh, it, it's so scary. I mean, it, it really is. I do think the planet needed a reset, but I don't think it needed it this much. Uh, you know, I, I really didn't. I mean, we could go into a long discussion on that. I, I, I don't suppose that's, that's for this program, though, yeah, yeah. Uh, for this podcast. But I do believe that we were hurtling out of control, consumerism gone mad. So I think we needed to pull the reins in a little bit, but not this much. I just hope now that the vaccine that they found, uh, three vaccines have been discovered uh, in this country We've just got to get that out to the population, and we've just got to we've got to start getting on top of this thing. Otherwise, it's it's you know it's going to ruin this country. It's already so many people are out of work, out of business, uh, and out of pocket. So I remain positive, though, Dean. I remain positive that uh, human nature will get us back to a little bit where we were. Yeah, I th that's all we can do. We have to be positive. Otherwise, there's no point in getting out of bed, to be, to be perfectly honest with no. you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I love, I, I'm just listening to the way you talk. And uh, I, when I was listening to you pronouncing the South African surnames, you, you sound actually very South African, obviously, given the fact that you spent some, some years there. And I can actually hear it in your voice. You know, it's a, it's a very smooth accent with traces of Southern African in it. Um, I also noticed that when you mention, when you speak about, when you are commentating and you uh, pronounce the names of players of the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, and so on, you make a very big effort to pronounce names correctly. So, Shika Tawan, you make sure that you pronounce the H. And, and there's a number yes. of, of ways that you do that. that. That sounds a bit like me. And we, we seem to pride ourselves in trying our very best, even though we don't speak the language, to try and at least give the player the respect by pronouncing his name as correctly as we possibly can. Well, Dean, that's very kind of you to say. It, it, it's an area of work um, in, in our profession that I think is not adhered to enough by the uh, modern commentator. I, I, I do believe that if you're going to be commentating on people's names and you get them wrong, then I don't think you should be doing the job. Or I think that you should go, it's like homework. You know, if you get your homework wrong, the teacher marks you down. And I believe that, you know, let's just take um, uh, Pakistan's captain. His name is Barbar Azam. Yes. And his surname is Barbar Azam, Azam, A-Z-A-M. But the number of commentators who, who, who call his name Baba Azam. Yes, yes. Azam. And it's not Azam. And it, it, it infuriates me. And you're right about Shikhar Thawan. 
no, you know, um, in that sense, I go to uh, friends of mine, colleagues, uh, Harsha Bogli um, and uh, Sanjay Mandreka uh, to help me. And I've said, look, if I'm saying something wrongly, incorrectly, and you pick it up, please tell me. Don't let me go on air saying something ridiculous. Um, and, you know, you're in the back of the commentary box. So please, please. And so Sanjay has taken it upon himself and he'll say, Wilco, I'm just going to say this. Say it like this. <laughs> say it like this. And I said, God, have I been saying that? Yeah. He said, you've been wrong. So That'd and he be... gives me lessons on the spot. Uh, beautiful. beautiful. So I, I do believe, Dean, like you, I like to get it right. And I think it pays respect to the to the cricketer, to the performer. I mean, for instance, Harsh, Harsha Bogli rang me when uh, the young Marnas Labuskachne, yeah. right? I'm going to say it like that because he's from the Free State and he is Marnas Labuskachne. And I said to Harsha, I said, that's how you say it, Skachne. So he started saying it and he got ripped. People, people were saying, what, what are you saying that for? His name is Labuschagne. And it's only because the Australians don't like, they can't say Labuskachne, they, they say Labuschagne. And I think it's very sad. I, I would imagine that Marnas's parents are probably saying, yeah, I wish, yeah, <laughs> our name is Labuskachne. It is not Labuschagne. So, I, you know, I, I do think it's, it's our duty to get these right, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I actually heard an interview uh, on, on ABC Radio, uh, their, their well-known cricket uh, coverage that they do, when, when Manus had just started playing for Australia. And it was funny because what they actually said, uh, and I, I don't remember the name of the presenter, so I'm, I, but he, he said, um, right, well, I'm here with the, the, uh, the father of Manus Labashain, Mr. And I'm Mr. Peter Labaskagni. So it seems to me that um, Mr. Labaskagni Sr. made it very clear that, look, you can call my son Labashain if you wish, but when you speak to me, uh, you, you better make sure that you call me Labaskagni. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good story. That's a nice story. And I think it's right as well. Why shouldn't we? We should, yeah. we should get it yeah. right. Absolutely right. Um, so obviously you, you've played a fair amount of sport, and I remember you off air, so to speak. Well, we're not live on air, but uh, at some point you you told me a very interesting story that you actually ha had the opportunity to come out here to Zimbabwe pre-independence. Uh, tell us that story. Yes, um, it was a time in my life. Uh, I was uh, at Loughborough, Loughborough Colleges, Loughborough University, the um, the sports science physical education university. Um, and in 1972, uh, this I was at no, I, I was at university in 76, 77, right. um, uh, 75. So in 1972, my father Hayden Wilkins, who had been a player, a rugby player, and cricketer with Glamorgan, rugby player with Cardiff, <coughs> excuse me, um, he was the manager of the Cardiff Rugby Club tour to what was then Rhodesia. Right. Uh, in 1972, and it was a very successful tour. He'd also been with Cardiff to South Africa in 1967, and he came back from both places and said, those are two of the most beautiful countries, and you, you ought to th consider having a look, which I certainly did, because uh, South Africa and uh, Zimbabwe are very close to my heart. Um, he met a number of people who would you would know, Dean, uh, the names of Reg Stewart. Oh, yes. Uh, 
David Morgan, yes. God bless him, who's no longer with us. Red Stewart, no longer with us. Kingsley went. Uh, Barney Pycroft, who's Andy Pycroft's yes. dad. All these people, um, uh, Willoughby Sprague, all these people who dad met on his travels. And at the time, I was at Loughborough, and I was playing rugby and playing cricket at, to the high, high level, at first-class uh, level. And um, it was put to me by Red Stewart, um, how would you like to come out here uh, to play some rugby and cricket? And I was going to teach at Prince Edward School. And that's really... But I was going to leave Loughborough in 76, not do my degree, and go and leave. And I literally had the emigration forms in front of me. Uh, and it was all set up. It was all set up for me to leave this country to start a new life in uh, the Southern Hemisphere, uh, in what was then, of course, Salisbury, and to teach at Prince Edward and to play rugby and cricket, hopefully for Zimbabwe. But it didn't happen. I, I pulled the plug at the last minute. I rang my parents at home, and I said, look, I, although this is just beautiful to think about, I just want to get my degree. And after I got my degree, Dean, I then started playing professional cricket with Glamorgan. Mm. And I, I I never looked back, you know. So, So that was a moment in my life which would have changed a lot of things. I would have been doing this chat with you sitting alongside you maybe instead <laughs> having of a, having a cold be, having a cold away. beverage and a but, glass of something cold and yeah. a, something on the barbecue, a nice piece of meat on the barbecue. That would or on the bry <laughs> as we call it, yeah. Yeah. But you know, that was a great opportunity and I did thank Reg Stewart. Um, and it, who knows? Who knows how it would have materialized because I mean I've been to Zimbabwe many, many times. It's the most beautiful place oh gosh it's so beautiful and i hope to come back and i i would like to spend more time there um hopefully i can i've made good friends with a young fellow called tino maweo who, uh -huh. who you would know yeah. uh, i know ed rainsford very much there and i'd like to part of my plan for the future for the next five years is to give back a little bit dean um help young aspiring broadcasters um just you know just help them along their way uh, and, and, and obviously don't lose touch with cricket because I still, I still like to do a little bit of coaching, very, very small scale, but I still like to be involved. Do you realize that had you come out here to and, and had you spent time at Prince Edward, you more than likely would have seen the likes of a very young Graham Hick and Edo Brandis, who uh, were very good schoolmates, and you would have seen them at some point, you know, going their, their separate ways, Graham to England and Edo becoming a chicken farmer, but, you know, occasionally it did reasonably well for Zimbabwe. How bizarre that would have been. God, could you imagine it? <laughs> um, yeah, I can imagine that. And two, two wonderful exports, um, Ed and... Uh, and of course, Graham. Um, you know, Graham was this, the great enigma, really, wasn't he? Because yes. he was a fabulous batsman, fabulous player, and and didn't quite get on top of it at Test level. But you know, you know, I, maybe if he played in, in another era. But you know, he had the likes of the West Indies who went after him. They really went after him. Um, but he was he was a wonderful player. Uh, you know, a superb time of the ball. Just goodness me. So tell us about your time playing cricket for Glamorgan. Who who would you have played with? And tell us about some of the tussles and the contests that you had. Again. I mean, your era of playing for Glamorgan, there were some fantastic cricketers who you would have played on the county circuit. Absolutely. Well, my first captain, well, I was still at, I was still at Loughborough. My first captain uh, was Majid Khan, the great Majid. Oh. 
Uh, and I was uh, literally in my second year at university, so that was one heck of an experience. He didn't say an awful lot, Majid. Um, he just got on with it. Um, yeah, he was one of uh, two great Pakistanis I played with for Glamorgan, the other being Javed Meandad. Uh, and then I went to uh, Gloucestershire. I signed for Gloucestershire for three years, and uh, um, the skipper was Mike Proctor, the great Mike Proctor. Um, and the other Pakistanis I played with there was Zahir Abbas and Sadiq Mohammed. Uh, so I think just looking back, we reached the Gillette Cup final of 77. Glamorgan did. We lost, we lost against Middlesex, who had Wayne Daniel in their team, uh, skippered by Mike Brealey. Uh, we had Collis King. Do you remember the great Very Barbados Absolutely. Uh, cricketer? We had Collis. Alan Jones was our captain then. Uh, we also had Winston Davis in our team. Uh, we, th- these these were great years of cricket, and every county had some of the greatest players who've ever played. Somerset had Ian Botham, Joel Garner, Viv Richards. You know, uh, Nottinghamshire had uh, Richard Hadley and Clive Rice opening oh. the bowling for them. Hampshire had Andy Roberts, Malcolm Marshall, uh, and Barry Richards. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Gordon Greenwich, I, you know, it, every county had someone. And um, Sylvester Clark, Intercarbalam for uh, Surrey. Uh, Sussex had, you know, Kepler Vessels. Javid played there. They had Imran Khan, Garth LaRue. So it was playing a level of cricket that really, to be honest, it, uh, I, you know, county cricket in those days was so strong. You know, but uh, never quite made the step up to international level. But had a, I had a good go at it, Dean. Put it that way. You know, Alan, I, I hear this, and to me, I'm afraid to. And I'm, I'm a little old-fashioned. I mean, I've heard you being involved with the IPL, and, and I'm sure you probably like it. I mean, to me, yeah. that sounds so much better than the IPL. I would have loved to have been old enough to appreciate and to listen to day hours and hours of four-day cricket, county cricket with the names that you've just mentioned, as opposed to, you know, the, the T20 format and style of, of cricket. I mean, it, as, a, as an admirer and as a fan, it must have been incredible to travel around England uh, and to be able to witness the West Indians in their pump and to witness you know, a lot of the Pakistani players, South African players and so on. It, to me, personally, it, it just sounds so much better than the IPL because, uh, to quote Clive Lloyd, um, you know, where he says T20 cricket is an exhibition, but test cricket or four-day cricket is an examination. Yes, uh, I, I read that from Clive as well. And, you know, you allude to his great team of, of the 70s and the 80s. Uh, that, was an, that was an incredible cricket team, the West Indies. Uh, you know, holding Garner, Roberts, Marshall, Croft. I mean, Wayne Daniel couldn't get in the side. Sylvester Clark couldn't get in that side. Uh, because of these great fast bowlers. And, of course, they had Vivian Richards, Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes, Clive Lloyd, what a team it was. Um, Well, we didn't know about T20 in those days, obviously, uh, uh, Dean. I think the IPL is an extraordinary tournament. And this last year, it did so well. The standard of cricket was was as high as it's ever been with no crowds. but this it's the way the game has changed now. We've got T10 cricket. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if down the road we have a T5 tournament, honestly, uh, because people are, are uh, getting used to the shorter form of the game. 
Uh, who has time to go and watch a five-day test? I just hope that test cricket is maintained because we're seeing some wonderful test cricket. But I, I still would have loved to have played T20 cricket. I would love to have. The nearest we got to it was 40-over cricket, yeah. which we played on Sundays in the Sunday League. So it's, you know, it's the way the game has evolved, uh, Dean. Um, it, it is what it is. But if you talk to any of the captains, if you talk to Virat Kohli, uh, if you talk... Uh, to uh, Kane Williamson, and if you you know if you talk to Joe Root, they will tell you that the benchmark for them is Test cricket, yeah. and I think that tells that tells its own story. Yeah, it it certainly does. I I totally agree with you. And um, so, uh, how were you able to to continue or to? I suppose, broaden your commentary horizon. So, all right, fine, you've told us that you were with the SABC, but, you know, I mean, I, I've heard you do it. Some of the events that you've been to, I would imagine you've covered Wimbledon, and uh, tell us some of the major golf tournaments that you've been to, and yeah. some of the people who you've actually rubbed shoulders with there. Well, it's like a who's who of international sport, to be honest. I've been a very, very lucky, lucky fellow in my job, um, you know, and I can I look back. You know, it was the era of the three of the greatest in their sport that I've, um, who I met, interviewed, spent time with: uh, Tiger Woods in golf, uh, Sachin Tendulkar in cricket, and Roger Federer in tennis. Um, I mean, to interview those guys to be you know I've walked the golf course for six hours with Tiger, just um, meet with him. Uh, doing uh, it was an incredible tournament in Thailand because he, as you well know, his mother yes. was from Thailand, uh, and this was a, um, a golf tournament in honor of the king. Uh, and we went there, and it was I had to pinch myself. I had to pinch myself all the way around that golf course. In um, golf course was called Amata Spring. Uh, Roger Federer interviewing these guys to watch these guys play. Um, I went to the Masters at Augusta for seven consecutive years. I interviewed Jack Nicklaus, uh, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer, Tom Watson, uh, all these guys, uh, all of these guys. Uh, you know, and again, I have to pinch myself. I've done uh, 18 years at Wimbledon, 16 years uh, at the Australian Open, and I did two U.S. Opens. Uh, in New York, all of these with my great friend. He's become my close, close pal, Vijay Amritraj yes. from India. Uh, so you know what? I've I've been I've been fortunate. I've covered sport all over the world. Uh, when I lived in Singapore for nearly 16 years, covered golf all over the Asia Pacific region. I remember. I that. flew down to New Zealand and Australia and South Africa. South Africa is still very close to my heart, as indeed is Zimbabwe. So when I look back on it, uh, and I've written about it actually, uh, Dean, in my book, my first book, uh, which is called Easier Said Than Done. Um, and it's all in there. The story's in there. But again, I look and, you know, you've asked me these questions and, and it brings it all back. Um, it's been It's been hard work, but you know what? To watch sport and talk about it around the world... Well, it doesn't come much better, really. I have a challenge for you. Would you consider reading is easier said than done in Audible and audio format and getting it out on the Audible app? Whew. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 could, I could do that. Um, if, yes, I, I could do that. I would speak to my, with my publisher here in Wales. The book was published in Wales. It was also published in India. Uh, I know that it's only just come out on uh, Kindle, it's now available in Kindle, but 
Um, if you think there would be a market for oh, it, yes, Dean, very much then so. let's let's take it forward. If you yeah. think that would be the case, then yes, I would do yeah, it. Absolutely. There's uh, many, many um, people, former sports people, who have uh, actually taken it upon themselves to read their own biography. And, and it sounds so much nicer when you actually hear it from the... the the horse's mouth, so to speak, you know, almost literally speaking, as opposed to somebody yeah. else reading it. So, yeah, and uh, you have the perfect voice for it. So it, it would be a wonderful read and listen, it, it really would. Um, so are, are there, have you made firm friends with any of the of the people who you've mentioned, the Tiger Woodses and so on? I mean, I suppose you don't really drop them a WhatsApp every day, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, not Tiger, but, uh, but um, uh Sachin uh, is a good friend. Um, right. That that era, I mean, Saurav Ganguly. I hope Saurav is well now. As you well know, he had a he had a, a heart attack just uh, about a week or so ago. So I hope he's recovering. Yeah. Uh, players along the way: Kumar Sangakkara, Mahela Jawadna from Sri Lanka. The, a lot of Pakistani players: Wasim Akram, Wakar Yunis, uh, and the current crop as well. I've got friends. You know, I, I, as I say, I think I've been very lucky that. All these people are friends. Uh, you know, they get into the commentary box. You think now of uh, Sean Pollock, uh, Graham Smith. These guys were forging different careers. Uh, and it, it's wonderful, uh, you know, to, to make lasting friendships out of sport. And I think that's the great quality that sport can bring to anyone's life. Um, and, and, that, uh, and we must nurture that. You know, it mustn't all just be about the dollar, you know, it's got to be about, you know, I've, I've got friendships that go back to my school days yeah. from rugby and cricket. So I'm still in touch with those people and they're people you, you would never have heard of, but they're just as important as the names of the people I've just mentioned. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and these people, lifelong friends, in my university friends, you know, we're still in touch so many years after we left Loughborough. And I find that I, it actually brings a tear to my eye. It really does because Friendship counts for a lot in my life. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with you. In fact, uh, one of my personal friends who I've been friends with since 1983 will be listening to this podcast with a, with a great deal of interest and uh, enjoyment as well. Oh. So I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, we were just talking, for example, about your, your Gary players, Arnold Palmer's. So it, it, for us as the observer, as the outsider, you know, we... I'll, I suppose, analyze uh, the golfers the way that we see them. And I'm not suggesting that that's the way they are. So you look at Arnold Palmer. He just comes across as a true gentleman. Um, you look at, at Gary Player, um, an incredibly kind, humble man, but at times gives the opinion of being a bit of a, you know, I've done this, I've done that uh, sort of a person. Uh, Tiger Woods, very, almost at times aggressive, almost like Virat Kohli. Um, on the golf course, but that's just purely, I would imagine, because he would want to win. But I get the feeling you will tell me that in their own ways, they are all wonderful people to spend time with. Would that be correct? Yes, uh, Dean, absolutely. You know, I um, everyone approaches the sport in a different way. Jack Nicholas, you know, when Jack Nicholas was on the scene in his pomp, you know, uh, there were people before him, great professionals before him, who didn't like Jack Nicholas, right. who didn't like Arnold Palmer. Uh, the great Ben Hogan did never did like Arnold Palmer. For some reason, he never called him Arnold. He called him Palmer. Right. Uh, and it was very strange. I mean, I read a lot of golf books. I, I, I love reading about uh, golf books, uh, uh, golf um, 
legends. Yes. You know, I really do. Uh, probably more than I read cricket, to be honest, because I just think the game has a mystique to it. There's, you know, the game has mystique. Uh, Tiger plays the game the way in that he 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 changed the way that golf was played because you've now got athletes. These guys go out and they train. They train. Look at Tiger now. He's well into his forties, and look at the look at the shape of him. He's yes. fantastic. Yeah. But you know these guys are dedicated to their craft. They're dedicated to their profession. And if at times they don't quite give you the interview or the time, but then you have to respect that because this is their chosen career path to be as good as they can, as proficient and as uh, to to excel in their chosen sport. So there are times where you've got to say, "Whoop, he's not going to give me an interview today. Uh, maybe we'll try tomorrow." So. Uh, you know, I, I'm full of respect for any sports person, male or female, who may or may not want to talk. Um, I mean, that, that's, you know, it's, the, it's their choice, really. Certainly. Certainly it is. And we do need to respect that, Alan. Absolutely. Um, what are the main events that we've spoken about? So in other words, rugby, tennis, cricket, golf. Out of those that you have covered, which one individually? So which can you remember any particular tennis rugby, golf tournament, uh, or World Cup or test, test Series in terms of cricket that really stands head and shoulders above the rest that you've covered that you will, even in a couple of years' time, say, my gosh, I will never forget yeah. that particular series or tournament. Well, yes. Uh, when India went down to Australia in 2003, uh, 2004, uh, India pulled off a fantastic win in Adelaide um, Ricky Ponting got a big double century, but also Rahul Dravid got a big double century. He got 270 and a, and a 70 in the second innings. It was a fantastic um, test series that was. And it was Sachin who, oh, he, he, he finished off with a 241 at, at the SCG in nice. Sydney. Uh, it was Steve War's farewell test. So th those that was a great test series. For me, the... Rugby World Cup um, of 1999. I spent a lot, a lot of the time in France, uh, but I covered some of the big games in that. I also covered in the same year. And in fact, here's I'll put this one to you, uh, Dino. Um, I covered the Cricket World Cup in 1999 for the BBC in May, June, ah. and then in October, November, I covered the Rugby World Cup as a commentator uh, for the ITV. And I don't know how many people in the world have done Rugby and Cricket World Cup in the same year as a commentator. I've been trying to find that one out. <laughs> Wimbledon, uh, Wimbledon, any match with Roger Federer, but his epic, his epic clash with Rafael Nadal that went on to about 10 past nine at night. It was pitch black. It was, they say it was the greatest tennis match ever. It was extraordinary. And Nadal pipped him in the fifth. That was just unbelievable. Uh, watching the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena, I mean, that is, I think that's one of the greatest stories in sport because those two girls came from the wrong side of the tracks and they've come up and look what they've done. They ruled tennis for a decade and what they did is, is outstanding. So, yes, uh, so much to look back on. Goodness me. Um, you know, what have I left out <laughs> watching, you know, <laughs> you know, the Masters, God, dear, yeah, walking around yeah. watching Adam Scott win the Masters, watching him uh, win the Masters, the first Australian after, you know, Greg Norman came so close. But it was very emotional to watch 
to watch uh, Adam Scott winning. I mean, I saw um, uh, Trevor Immelman, the South African, oh. winning his. You know, and uh, oh, you know these these are great moments that you you covet, you keep in your head because it brings goose pimples. And and you can say at the end of the day, you can say I was there. Have you ever spent time in the company of the of the Williams sisters? A lot of time. Really? A lot of time, and they are absolutely delightful. And their father, Richard, uh, used to accompany them. He was uh, – because, you know, he's the, he's the man. Richard Williams was the man who put them on the map. He coached them from a very, very young age when they were babies because he thought that tennis would be a, a passport, a green card, out of where they uh, – you know, there could have been a, a much different way of life for the Williams sisters. They are delightful human beings. They really are. Did you ever, back in the, in the early 1990s, early to mid-1990s, spend time with Monica Seles? You know, I, I always found her, she sounded like quite a, a, a cheerful lady. And, I mean, a lot of people were discouraged because, I mean, you remember Maria Sharapova and the way that she grunts. Uh, but Monica yeah. Seles obviously <laughs> yes. used to do that yes. uh, a lot before her. But to me, I always, I don't know why, I always had the feeling that she was a very sad sort of a person, almost a lonely person, despite, I don't know how I pick these things up, but that's kind of the feeling that I um, always had about Monica Seles when listen, listening to her talk. Yes, you know, um, maybe from a part of the world that's been war-torn and, um, you know, we don't know what, you know, what some of these players have to do to get to the level they, they achieve or aspire to. I mean, if you if you read anything about Novak Djokovic, I'm a huge fan of him. He's yes. not the most popular guy, yeah. you know, because everyone loves Roger Federer <laughs> and everyone loves Rafael Nadal. But it, Novak Djokovic used to practice in a disused, empty sw uh, swimming pool that was that had shell holes in it. I mean, he spent six months of his life of the year in a bomb shelter, wow. you know, because of. Belgrade, it yeah. was, you know, bombed and, and the, the part of the world where he's from. So, you know, we never quite know the all the background issues as to where these players come from. You know, and and that that's why I really do tend to try and find out a little bit more about these players. Because, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a little adage in life, Dina, isn't it? You know, you can never really pick on the person. If you want to, you know, if you want to pick a fight with someone, you know, verbally, uh, or you want to criticize someone, I don't think we should. And I try and adhere to this because you never quite know what battle they are facing themselves. Yeah. If they've got a battle, a personal problem, a mental problem or something in their past, we don't know that. Yeah. So th that really is where I'm coming from, especially with, uh, with sportsmen and women. Um, try and find out a little bit more about them. Uh, and... and and, and I think that helps. The more you read and the more you know about something, I think it helps when you're appreciating their skills or when you're talking about it in, in terms of commentary. I suppose uh, I better bring a bit of Southern African influence into this podcast, uh, Alan. But um, in, in terms of cricket, obviously predominantly this being a cricket podcast, but this has just been fascinating talking to you. What What is the the most memorable uh, game of cricket you saw which featured South Africa and then which featured Zimbabwe? Whew, gosh. <laughs> right, well, um, I would have to say that the game of cricket, Zimbabwe, the game that sticks out for me, uh, and I was commentating on it for the BBC, was that amazing win in Chelmsford, uh. 1999, cricket, ICC Cricket World Cup, where they beat 
uh, the mighty South Africans. Yeah. Um, and, and that was an extraordinary game of cricket. I remember that. Uh, that sticks out still. I mean, I'd, I'd have to get the scorecard and look at that. But I, I know that everyone chipped in, didn't they? Everyone yes. chipped in yeah, yeah. Uh, for Zimbabwe that day. What a win it was. Ooh, uh, for South Africa, well, you know what? Um, I, I always enjoyed... I, I enjoyed the days when Sean Pollock was playing. There's something about Polly and, and John T. Rhodes. I just loved what those guys brought to the game of cricket. They, they had almost like a schoolboy enthusiasm, didn't they? They, yes. they really did. Um, and watching, at more recent times, I think, watching Hashim Amla bat because he's just the personification of calmness. What a calm person he is. And, uh, you know, uh, that has been an absolute joy for me. Um, I think watching rugby, I I mean, to me, rugby down that part of the world is very special as well. And, you know, you've had some players there over the years. Goodness me. I don't know what you feed them on down there, but uh, (laughs) they're pretty lumpy people. So watching the box and watching... That kind of rugby, you know, that was highly emotional in 95 when Francois Pinard, when the Rainbow Nation won the Rugby World Cup for the first time. That that was pretty special. In fact, Dean, I did the semi-final. I was the commentator for the semi-final in Durban when oh, France, against France yes. lost to the box. And it was a Welsh referee, Derek Bevan, who didn't give the try that uh, Abdelatif Benazi the French lock scored, and he said no try in the dying minutes. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear! And uh, and it was that game where, which possibly wouldn't have been played had it not been a, a rugby World Cup, because you remember there, there was water all across yeah. the pitch from uh, days of torrential rain. So that tournament sticks out for me to uh, as well. The 1995 Rugby World Cup. That was a a very special time for me, as indeed the 97 Lions. I went there, down there, as a commentator as well. So all these things, you know, it's hard to pick one game, but they stick in the memory. Yeah, they certainly do. That 95 World Cup was just amazing and remarkable. And the late Ruben Kruger, who scored the winning try, or Ruben Krier, who scored the winning try for South Africa against France, if I remember correctly, in that semi-final that, yes. you, that you alluded to. Um, Alan, I, I obviously don't want to keep you much longer, but we're having such fun. But a couple of countries in terms of back to cricket again now that I know that are very close to your heart are Ireland and Afghanistan. Now, um, Afghanistan seem to be going in the right way in terms of the cricketers that they are producing, especially in a limited overs format. We all know all the cricketers that they have there, um, a lot of them playing in the various tournaments around the world. One team which seemed to be making good headway and, and good strides, if you consider that in the 2007 World Cup in the West Indies, the majority of the, of the players who played for them were Australians and South Africans, just with a couple of local players. And in, in the 2011 World Cup, they were able to turn that around, and the majority of the team were all obviously Irish, which is what I'm referring to. But I, I, I'm not entirely sure Ireland have made the strides that they would have hoped, very much like Zimbabwe, to be honest with you, you know, where it looked as if they were coming along nicely. But it just seems to be that, I don't know, they get to a point and then they don't quite seem to be able to, to cross that, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. I think Ireland themselves are very uh, aware that I don't think that they have actually made the strides yeah. that they should have. Uh, you know, they, 
you know, I, I saw today as well that um, they have lost to uh, United Arab Emirates in the first ODI in Abu Dhabi. My goodness, what oh, a yeah. score that is. And, yeah. you know, they, they, the Paul Sterling, Kevin O'Brien, uh, they're still playing. They're still there. Andy McBride, uh, there are a couple of new names in there, but Kevin O'Brien's been around a long time. Paul Sterling, a long time. Andy Balberni's the captain. Uh, I think what Ireland has to do, they've got to work hard at their first class uh, setup. They've got to get more people into the game. Uh, Irish women's cricket is on the increase. Again, they need to get more players uh, into the game, and they are doing that. Um, I, it, it's going to take a concerted effort. Uh, with regard to Afghanistan, I think it's one of the great stories in sport. Can you imagine yeah. uh, having produced the likes of uh, Rashid Khan, who was voted the ICC Test uh, T20 Player of the Decade recently, um, Mohammed Nabi? These guys have come from almost uh, from where? They've come from the deserts. They come. They, they, some of them have come out of refugee camps. I, I mean, it is one of the great stories. I have not been to Afghanistan. I wouldn't. I would like to go, oh, yes. but I don't know if it's the safest journey in the world at the moment. But I don't know where else is safe at the moment, Dean, <laughs> on that score. But I think what Afghanistan is doing and what they do on the cricket field is absolutely outstanding. And you know what? In the last Asia Cup, which took place in the United Arab Emirates in 2018, they almost almost beat India yeah. in, in a 50-over contest. It was extraordinary. So these guys, they fight to the very last ball, and that's a great quality of their cricket. I, I think, uh, Alan, what I've, what I've noticed is the differences, for example, between Zimbabwe and Afghanistan. When Zimbabwe lost the majority of their senior players, they were in a predicament. So they went into a scenario where they said, well, you know what, in terms of batting, we're just happy to bat out the 50-overs. Um, and, you know, maybe if we can score 200, that's fine. We don't, we're not entirely uh, convinced. Well, we don't really, I don't want to say we don't care about not winning because that's not quite correct. But, but that's what we want to do. Whereas the mindset of Afghanistan is, well, it doesn't matter who we play. We want to go out there and play a positive brand of cricket. And we want to do the best we can to win. And I still believe that the mentality that Zimbabwe had, due to the fact that they lost so many players all in, in one hit, um, to a certain extent... Uh, maybe a small extent, still 17 years later, has still remained in the camp. So, you know, when Zimbabwe had a series against Pakistan in Zimbabwe, the, the likes of Taylor, Raza, Irvin, um, and so on weren't playing. So you still had senior players. But but again, they, they opted to take the, the safe route. So as opposed to embarrassing themselves, you know, they played a very defensive, negative brand of cricket, whereas Afghanistan are saying, well, you know what, if, even if we end up losing quite badly, we want to be as, as positive as we can and, and learn something by being positive and hopefully, hopefully get into situations where we can actually beat quality opposition on the day. Yes, um, and there's one name, I agree with what you've just said, there's a name that stands out for me for Zimbabwe, and I saw him recently, he's just 20 years of age, Wesley Madivere, yeah. and this youngster to me is the future for cricket in Zimbabwe. I love his attitude. I loved watching him uh, in those three ODIs uh, against uh, Pakistan, um, recently now in Islamabad. He's only played 
six ODIs and he's only played five T20. In fact, he's only played three first-class games of cricket. Yes. This, this to me is where is the future for Zimbabwe, and I, I love his attitude. I mean, I've seen him in under nineteen cricket as well, um, and I think the nucleus of the of the future is around players like Wesley. Uh, he's twenty. I don't want to see him getting the captaincy too early. I, I think there are. There are players, maybe senior players. You've got to use the likes of Kyle Jarvis, of Brendan Taylor, Craig Irvin, uh, these guys, Sikandar Raza. These guys have still got a lot to offer. But there is talent coming through um, for Zimbabwe. You know, you, there is talent there and there's a will to, to succeed. It's, it's, oh, it's getting over the line. It's difficult at the moment because I know that uh, Zimbabwe cricket is uh, on the back burner at the moment with coronavirus. So that's going to... That's going to stop the momentum. But, you know, you just look at certain players in that Zimbabwe side. I'm not so sure that um, uh, Chivaba was possibly the right captain in the sense that he, Chamu Chivaba, is obviously a very talented player and he he belts the ball and hits it very hard. But perhaps he could have gone down the order. I felt it was a little bit uh, hit and miss at the top of the order. Just little things like this, fine tuning, which, which I think, if Zimbabwe had sort of the right coaching setup and people with you know the right ideas, I think there's talent there. I really do believe there is talent there. And uh, you know, if the likes of Ed Rainsford and uh, Tino Maweo uh, can be harnessed uh, and what they've uh, brought to the game, I think you know the conversations need to be had with these kind of people uh, to bring Zimbabwe cricket back up to where it should be, a little few notches up the ladder to where it should be. Alan, um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of the older people um, continuously say that although if you look at the, the ratio of Zimbabwe cricket, you know, perhaps maybe Zimbabwe back in the 90s and early 2000s didn't actually win as many games as people thought. They, so, so the win-lose ratio was very similar to what the, the current crop of players are. But they always say that there was something about that Zimbabwe team of the 90s and early 2000s that that made you sit up and take note, that made you realize that on their day they actually could beat anybody, whereas a lot of people don't get that vibe, and I don't like using that word very much, but anyway, they yeah. don't get that vibe with this, this current crop of players. Would you agree with that? Uh, you know, I think that, you know, like, like all things, you know, if you look at the West Indies, you know, earlier in this conversation um dean we talked about the great west indies teams skippered by clive lloyd and you know by vivian richards you know they're nowhere near the current side and they got some very earnest cricketers you know and they're led by an admirable captain uh jason holder he's a very very capable cricketer he's probably the the top all-rounder in the world at the moment but you know they are not close to the side that dominated in the 80s. So they're, you know, they're, they're not there. Those cricketers are not there. And I think possibly there's work to do for the current crop of Zimbabwe cricketers. Yes, there's work to do. There's work to do for Australian cricketers. Yeah. Look, you know, that, that if you look at the the sort of cricket, the batting lineup of, of Australia, what they had, Langer, Hayden, Ponting, War, War, Gilchrist, Martin, all these guys. I mean, you look at it now, you've, you know, they're new players coming in. Labuskakni, Labuschagne, South African-born, Will Pukowski has come in. These, I don't think that the batting 
sort of um, conveyor belt is there for Australia as it was in those great years. And I think it happens in cycles and it's happening with England. England are looking for spin options. I don't think they have. What are England going to do when Anderson and Broad hang mm. up their boots? Oh, and that's not too far away. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, there's uh, how many wickets? There's a thousand test wickets between those two. So I think with Zimbabwe, to answer your question, yes, there's work to be done. But, you know, there's no substitute for hard work, Dean. And uh, if it's going to be hard work, going back to basics, then that's the way it is. Which England all-rounder did you prefer watching? Did, 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 I mean, they both had such uh, different skills, and but at the same time, similarities. Ian Botham or Andrew Flintoff? Uh, Ian Botham for right. me. Yeah. Um, I thought uh, Andrew Flintoff nowhere close to the talent that Ian Botham had. Ian Botham was uh, an uh, just the most beautiful bowler. He was a fabulous bowler. And had he possibly taken his batting a bit more seriously um, early in his career, uh, he, I think he could have broken even more records. But uh, I don't think I don't think that uh, Andy Flintoff, Freddie Flintoff, was close to Ian Botham in terms of talent. He, I think he worked hard. I think he had the crowds behind him. Yeah. And, you know, he was a wholehearted cricketer. But for me, any day, Ian Botham. You know, Alan, it's, you are quite, you're one of the, the lucky few. I mean, you have seen Richard Hadley from New Zealand, Ian Botham from England, Flintoff, Sean Pollock, Mike Proctor, Clive Rice, um, Malcolm, Malcolm Marshall. I, I want to sh chuck in a, a slightly obscure name, but a, name, a player who I had a huge amount of admiration and respect for and who I believe was a very good all-rounder as well, Franklin Stevenson of the West Indies. I saw a lot of him when he played for what was then Free State in the early 1990s, and of course he played county cricket as well. What is it about an uh, uh, all-rounder, someone who can run in and bowl at 90 miles an hour or 145 kilometers an hour and then bat you know, with Jacques Callas, let's put him there as well, because he was capable of doing that. There's, there's something about a genuine all-rounder, and then there's something about a left-hander playing a cover drive, isn't there? <laughs> uh, oh, yes, you're right. And there's two other names you left out there as well, um, Kapil Dev and Imran, and Imran Khan. Yes, yes. Um, and I've been on the receiving end of all of them. Uh, Imran, Kapil Dev, uh, Sir Richard Hadley, uh, Ian Botham, Malcolm Marshall, you can put in there, Malcolm, if you know, but you know, these guys, but Franklin Stevenson, absolutely, he had the most deceptive slower ball in the game. I mean, he, he was an extraordinary uh, cricketer. He was, he was talented beyond. Um, and what, what, I mean, these were halcyon years, weren't they, of, of yes, yes. great cricketers. Mike Proctor, you know, if Mike Proctor, look at, could you imagine Mike Proctor playing T20 cricket? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> could, could you, can you just imagine it? Uh, you know, so I think, I think we have seen some of the greatest. And, uh, and, and in, my, in my personal uh, book, I've been lucky to have been on the field at the same time against them and with them. So, yeah. you know, as, as I said to you earlier, Dean, you know, pinch myself that uh, I had that opportunity uh, in the game. So, so just to conclude, when, when you're on the aeroplane or you're having a bit of, you know, I, I know you love going to the gym and, you know, it's something that I know it's you, you referred to it in Pakistan as your salvation, going to the yes. gym and, and just because it's a bit of a, an un unwind mechanism because, I mean, your brain must be like a, a massive, massive storeroom with all sorts of compartments. <laughs> uh, you know. yeah. So what do you, what do you like doing in a bit of downtime away from broadcasting and away from sport? Is, is there anything, I mean, what music do you like listening to? Ah, 
Oh, I, I mean, I listen to all kinds of music, but uh, I love classical music. I really do. I, I listen to, I love uh, female vocalists, right. to be honest. I, I, uh, I'm not really into too much of the rock stuff. I, I love the classics. Um, uh, whew, I don't watch a lot of television, I can tell you that. I, I read. Uh, I read, and I go for extensive walks. We have a lovely couple of parks around here in Wales, uh, where I live, and we've got a lake and got a lovely little dog, and we take him for a walk. So, yeah, uh, walk, clean my mind, don't take the phone, uh, because I don't want that going off when I'm walking. So generally, uh, making use of time. You know, I hate wasting time, and uh, that's why I'm not a big television viewer at all. I do watch the occasional film, and it has to be a very good film. But generally, uh, in in the days when I was flying, I would watch a film in a, in uh, in the plane. Yeah, but yeah. that hasn't happened for near enough a year now. So, uh, reading, uh, to be honest, you know, I love getting a good book, and uh, I'll read it from cover to cover, or I might read half of it and then start another one. So, I'm always doing something. Do Do you specifically only read biographies? And uh, I mean, do you sometimes lose yourself in a beautiful novel, or is that not really? Something? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes, I do. Yes. Uh, you're going to ask me now which novel have I have I read recently? <laughs> well, I haven't. One of the books I have read, and I'm going to read it again because it's a fantastic book, and that's the the uh, memoirs of Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. It's called Shoe Dog. It's a fantastic book. Uh, and, and yes, I do get memoirs. Uh, you know, for instance, um, I, I just bought, I don't know what I've just bought, and uh, it's, it should be my next one, Trevor MacDonald, the newsreader. Oh, yes. You know, uh, yes. from Trinidad. I saw his book, um, and it's called An Improbable Life. I want to read that next. I, you know, I like reading about, I've got um, Bill Bob Paisley's book, Quiet Genius. You know, these kind of books, I want to know, about these guys, Arnie, the, the life of Arnold Palmer. There's a, another book, Arnie and Jack, the immortal Bobby, Bobby, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Bobby uh, Jones, the, yes. the, the great Bobby Jones. You know, so I love watching, yeah. And so uh, books, yes, gosh, stories. I haven't read a novel for a little while, to be honest. Um, I guess I, I should, um, I'll tell you a good book I, I enjoyed and it, very, I don't know if, you, if you've read it. Uh, the Good Marungu, a cricket uh, tale of the unexpected, yes. Alan Butcher. Yeah, absolutely. Very good book. Very, very good book indeed, that yeah. by uh, Alan. Uh, and, yeah, I, I enjoy that. So, you know, I've got uh, stacks more to read. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> where I'm going to get the time to do it, but I will. And sometimes as an escape, uh, Dean, I will buy an Andy McNabb book, you know, uh, there's one right in my hands now called Recoil, and it's all about war and, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, and I'll, I'll have a read. And it takes me away from sports yeah. just uh, just for a bit. And um, there's another one now, uh, you should have known. Uh, she's a fantastic uh, writer, uh, Jean Hanf Korolitz, the American, oh, yes. and which has been made into a, a, a movie. So that, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite varied uh, in terms of what I read, but I love it. So to, just to, finally now, Alan, finally, I promise you. But um, I mean, I yeah. know it's a bit of a tricky question, admittedly, but what are you hoping? I mean, do you work on a freelance basis? You're not obviously employed by anybody. I've heard you do voiceovers on the ICC 360 show. And I mean, I've heard you all over the place, really. I mean, as we've already mentioned. Yeah. But COVID 
aside, and I mean that's going to be around for a while. What are you? What events would you normally have have attended, and are you still hoping to to attend COVID permitting in 2021? What is almost a given? Had there not been COVID, let me put it to you that way. What would you be doing? Well, well, I don't think anything's a given at the moment. No. It's quite. No. Uh, it's quite a challenge at the moment, Dean. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to go to Pakistan to do the PSL. Uh, I hope to do the IPL, but we don't know where that'll be, whether it'll be in India or whether it might be in the United Arab Emirates again. Uh, again, you know, I mean, at the moment, uh, flights are being restricted out of this country, out of London to different parts of the world. So it really is a challenge at the moment. And I am finding it a challenge, I must admit, but I have to remain positive. Um, I don't want to hang up my boots just yet, Dean. I, I feel that I've got still got much to offer, and I really believe that. Uh, and you know, uh, I will say this: I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the the progress and the development that we've seen from women's cricket. I really have. I think it's it's making large str- strides, and I would like to be along that journey as well. So. Hopefully, I got a few more years and a few more miles in the tank yet, because I, I'm not giving up yet. Well, that's a, an absolutely wonderful attitude, and I'm sure that's inspired many broadcasters and people in general. I, I certainly don't plan on giving up anytime soon either. Alan Wilkins, it's been wow. I can't tell you how much I've I've been looking forward to to wanting to talk to you and interview you. Finally, this has happened. I know we were supposed to work together in the commentary box in 20. 2017, I believe, when the West Indies were here in, in Zimbabwe, and it didn't quite work out, but uh, that's maybe even better, because now I've actually got to really get inside your mind, your heart, and, <laughs> and it's been a real pleasure and privilege. Thank you for taking time out to have a chat. It's been an absolute joy and, 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 and privilege. Well, Dean, that's very kind of you, and um, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. You've, uh, you've maybe sit up and think about a few things I probably wouldn't have thought about in this first week of the of the new year but uh i thank my lucky stars that i've got this far and i i've had a great time and uh, meeting people like yourself and pity we didn't work there yeah. in bulawayo in 2017 yeah. hopefully we'll have another opportunity because i'm coming back to zimbabwe and i look forward to seeing you again you've been listening to the dean at stumps podcast with me dean duplessis and a very very special guest one of my all-time favorite sport presenters and commentators, Alan Wilkins. We'll be back with a podcast again pretty soon. Until then, please stay safe and be kind. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.